morning, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well. Happy Wednesday. It's Wednesday, right? Happy Wednesday. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, Miron. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, and for those that are coming on now for the first time, welcome. For those that have been coming back, thanks so much. We've been talking a lot about the idea of rituals, how change happens when we do things consistently. However, we've got a couple of blocks we've got to deal with. To be, to be fair, and this is where I think a lot of the failure comes into when it comes to rituals, is that we get it intellectually, but it's really hard to get it emotionally. Good morning, everybody. It's really hard to get it emotionally. And this is, there's a concept in prayer. I'll say it in Hebrew and translate it. It's a very powerful concept. And speaking about faith, the, we have a prayer that says, and you know it today, but you have to then bring it into your heart. It seems like a nice line, but it's very, very powerful because that's the process. Intellectually understanding something really doesn't make a major impact in your life unless you're part of the elite few. There are people like this that just like see something and they're like, I'm out. They're doing something for 20 years. And some of them's like, oh, by the way, uh, that's gonna, it's, it's harmful to your health. And they're like, oh, it is? Okay, I'm out. Most people are acting in ways that are based on their emotions. There's a lot of data here. I'll look this up because I want to make sure this is clear. They did a study on individuals. It, it stemmed from an individual who had lost, who had some kind of impairment, a mental impairment an injury. I'll look this up so that it's clearer. And he was incapable of making decisions. And when they started doing tests on him, they realized that his, his analytical capacity was unimpaired. He was able to make the same level of analytical decisions, but it was his emotional capacity that was impaired. It's fascinating. I'm going to try to get this for you. And what they found was that the decision-making ability really rests in the world of emotions. People think that emotional people make rash decisions. Intellectualism without emotion is many times leads to indecisiveness. So when we're talking about rituals, we're ta- the easy thing is to understand it. Like it makes hopefully sense. The challenge is to apply it. And in applying it, we have to be much more strategic with our emotions which is why we spoke about this idea of pairing the ritual with that which you already like because you are emotionally invested in that thing already. Just bring it over. One of the great questions I got. I'm going to try to figure out how to answer more questions here. I'm toying with different ideas. We'll do it on Friday with God's help. Maybe we'll add a piece to this uh, to every morning and maybe we'll just do like a separate section just for questions. But I got a great question. Someone asked me, they said, can you talk to the rituals and how you lost all your weight, right? Because I gained an enormous amount of weight my first year of law school. For another time. But when you pair things that you're emotionally invested to with things that you want to be doing, you're now moving your emotions to be working closer to your to yourself, if you will. And now you're allowing your emotions to support the intellectual decisions of your new rituals. Right? We when we are when we recognize that we've already invested ourselves into structural parts of our day and we pair it with that. All we're doing now in the past few days 
is dealing with the emotional challenges that are going to come our way in implementing new rituals. That's why resolutions fail so often. They don't factor in that. It's like this go into the future. So we have to rely on emotions because we don't have the mental capacity to get there or we'd be there. And emotions are, are fleeting. So if you're not strategic with it, you lose. That's why inspiration never takes you anywhere for long periods of time if it doesn't then lead to some consistent action. And yesterday we started talking about this idea that I want to continue on today, which is this concept of we have no idea who we are. We have this thing of trying to find ourselves. Now, we have talents. We have personality traits. We do. We have things that are built in. We have genetics. We do. But we overemphasize, in my opinion, finding ourselves, trying to position ourselves. To me, it is absolutely insane. Honestly, honestly, I went through the system too. College, law school, the whole dealio. It is insane that I had to pick a career at like 17 years old. Now, it is what it is, but like, think about just the level of visibility that you have on who you are to choose something to do for the next 50, 60 years before you're even 20. As if we have to like figure ourselves out, like as if there's like a career. And if you nail it, you know what you're doing. It's not true. And, it, and it's, it's a, it's, a, it's a misconception. I think we did this on the show. The study that showed that entrepreneurs that begin businesses, like I think in their 50s, have a much higher likelihood of success than they, they, they build them in their 20s. And it makes sense. But more people are scared to start companies in their 50s, not because they don't have the capacity or the resources, because like you're supposed to know what you're doing by the time you're 50. Says who? Says who? Why is life supposed to be cut clearly down the line? Why is it not an evolutionary process of figuring yourself out, understanding who you are? That's how it's supposed to be. It's the journey of life. So we have this thing where we have to like figure ourselves out, like as if there's like a thing that I am. And like we hear this and buy, I always knew I wanted to be an astronaut. I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. Really? Maybe because your family was lawyers. Maybe because as a kid, you saw a movie about an astronaut. Maybe it's not you. Maybe you've just been exposed to a few things and you started a little earlier. This is uh, a lot of research done by Malcolm Gladwell. It's not, they actually took someone else's research, I think. But they, they did this with regards to hockey players and other uh, experts. You gotta remind me to get, all the, get you all this book. But you'd have to have a reading list. We should have a daily boost reading list, wouldn't you think? Like a book club. So they did this great research where they showed that world-class performers are not world-class because they were born that way. They, they, had, they had something that stood them out. Of what, they're not just like everybody else, right? You, you can't take 10 kids and each of the 10 kids are going to become professional athletes. Fine. But if you take the kids that make it and don't make it, after you pass the threshold of a certain level of athletic ability, the people that do make it and don't make it aren't ones that were born to play that sport. In many cases, it's just, they just had a little bit of an advantage when they were younger. And so people kept on piling on them. You got to do this. You're amazing. They just were like probably a little bit better than their group. Outliers, right? 
And they did this great, if you read Outliers, they did this great book. They did this great study about hockey players and how an over, uh, like a, the, a disproportionate amount of hockey players are born in the first third, the first quarter of, of the year. January, February, and March. Why? Because when, you're, and you, when you play professional hockey, usually you went to a system that played hockey, right? So you're not playing hockey when you're 15. You're playing hockey when you're seven. And when you're seven and six and five and you're learning how to skate and you're born in January and the other kid's born in November, you're a lot bigger than that kid. So you're going to be better because when you're first starting to play hockey, it's a physical game, physical toughness matters. So usually the bigger kids get picked for the better teams, the better coaches, with the better opportunities, da 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 So it wasn't that you were born to be a hockey player. Your neuroplasticity, the exposure to your life, led you down a path. It could be that your father was a farmer and you watched him on some farm in Wisconsin, get up at four o'clock in the morning and you learned a work ethic so that when you were in high school playing football, you put in five more hours of workout to then your friend who was much better than you. And so you went to the next level. That's some kind of thing with your soul. Once we get this, it's daunting because we don't know who we are, but it's humbling because we don't know who we are. And we may never know who we are. Why would we think we can know who we are? Why would we think that we have the ability to understand that which is not from this world? Why do I think that my physical brain that can barely remember what I learned in high school or what I ate for breakfast or the thing that my kid told me two days ago can grasp and comprehend a piece of divine energy? We, we can understand divine now. Because why? Because we know how to like do a little, we know how to Google things. There's a humility that comes with not knowing who we are. And it, it's, it's unnerving. But it's totally freeing. It's totally freeing. That means whoever you were doesn't have to be who you are. I got an email from a it seemed like a wonderful girl, thoughtful, sweet, nice. What a very challenging childhood, to put it mildly. And this is her question. How do I know? This is my destiny because this was my exposure growing up. Neuroplasticity, right? If I've been exposed to abusive parents, isn't that what I'm going to ultimately be? And the answer is no way. You have no idea what you can accomplish, how much strength you have, how much you can do. We don't know what we can do. We don't know what we can accomplish. And if you ever need a proof, go back 70, 80 years. Go back to the generation called, they're my grandparents. It could be your parents. It could be your grandparents. It could be your great-grandparents. Just look at that generation. Forget the world. Just look at the Jewish people. In the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. Just look at that era. Regular normal people living in shtetls. Shtetls are like little Jewish ghettos. Where everyone was Jewish. Not everyone lived this way, but a lot of people did. Everyone was Jewish. Everything was safe. Everybody knew each other. And they're like this. Their whole lives have ended. 
they, 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 they watch death at a level that no one in modern history has seen. They came to, country, to a country that didn't speak the language. And they rebuilt it. The Jewish community in the diaspora is rebuilt off the backs, mostly of people that had the worst upbringing in modern history. They didn't know who they were. You interview him at 17, who are you? He's probably like, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a farmer. I'm a, an import-exporter. That guy goes through an entire Holocaust, comes to the shores, rebuilds, buys real estate, or opens up a butcher shop, or what? Who are you? They stopped asking. And they digged into a place that, can you imagine the strength? Can you imagine if what we had today was the ability to tap into the strength of those people that survived the Holocaust with all the resources that we have available to us? Can you imagine what we can accomplish? How about those people that built Israel? Draining swamps, defending, they weren't, they weren't military experts. They had to fight five wars. The 1948 Independence War, they didn't even have an air force. If someone's going to be like, who are you? They're going to be like, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a spy. I'm, a, I'm an expert in tanks. They'll be like, what are you talking about? I don't know. The whole, the whole premise of greatness comes from the understanding, I don't know who I am. And the only way I find out is through the challenges that it's in front of me. The challenges are the mechanisms to find self. It's not like I'm going to sit around and like figure it out. The purpose of journaling isn't to find yourself. The purpose of journaling is to articulate what's in your brain today. What you want to do from where you stand today. What your challenges are that now, because when we think about it, it's all mumbled and jumbled in our brains. And until we can pull it out, put it on words, we'll never get through it. It's not to find ourselves. Yes, along the way, you can pick up clues. I love doing this job. I hate when this happens. I should do more of this. Yes, that's called, that's the journey. But you don't get to a place and go, oh, this is me. I knew it. Because then a challenge comes your way and you're like, oh, I didn't realize this. I didn't realize the extent of what I can become. Now, the reason why this is so critical is because one of the great blocks to new rituals is it's not me. You want to hear somebody who has that defeatist mentality and you say, go do this. They'll say to you, it's not me. That's like standard stuff. You hear it's not me and they're already going like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Because that's, that's the misconception. I know who I am. And since the only thing you know is that which is in your brain, and the only thing that's in your brain is that which came by before today, right? Therefore, you only have history to draw from to determine who you are. So when someone says, I can't, what they're saying is, in the past, I haven't been able to, so now I must not be able to. That's why I don't grow because how could I grow? I'm using the same fact pattern as yesterday. I'm using the same analysis points as yesterday. So why would I expect to do different results? That's the famous Albert Einstein. Doing the same thing and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. Why would I expect a different life? I'm looking back and knowing what I can and cannot do based on yesterday. I'm using, I'm using yesterday to just solve today's problems. 
Why would I expect today today be much different? That's the problem that we're in. Because if I don't know who I am and who I was isn't it, unless I walk around and have a certain lens, left, 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 certain sense of humility, if I don't know what's possible. I don't know how deep I am. How do I know? How, how, how would I know? You know here, so here's the problem. What we're waiting for. Whenever you do something, you know, there's a great research I saw in a book called The Originals. I just pulled it off my shelf on the way over here. So Adam Grant, I don't know if you've seen this book. It's excellent. I just hit me on the way in and I pulled it off my shelf so that I can show you a little show and tell. He has a piece in there, some research that's done between two different words used before a big performance. They had someone do something very hard. I think in the book it was to sing in front of strangers or whatever it was. And for a portion, they said, relax, like, relax, you got this, you got this, relax, calm. And for another portion, they wrote, well, they, they said to them, get excited, get excited, get excited. See the difference in that? Calm down, get excited. And they found is that the getting excited group did a whole lot better than the calming down group. And this can make sense now what we're talking about. When you're doing something new, there's fear, there's anxiety, right? It's the unknown. You don't know if you're going to win, if you're going to lose. You don't know if you're going to fail. You don't know if you're going to starve. You don't know. So it's natural. It's biological. Your amygdala hijacks and it's biological to feel fear. What we want is to feel calm because we want to know it's going to be okay. I can do this. Calm. It's not true. You don't know if you can. You don't know if you can't. So calming isn't helping you. What's helping you is saying, get excited. Raise it. Just transform the fear to excitement. Transform the humility to excitement. What's going to be? I'm scared. But I'm excited for the possibility. When we're waiting to feel like I can do it. We're waiting to be comfortable. We're waiting to be calm. It's gonna stop us from doing things that make us uncomfortable. When we stop trying to figure out what I can and can't do, when we stop trying to find the comfort in the new things that I'm doing and start saying, I don't need it to be comfortable. I'm excited for what's possible. We go into new opportunities with the emotion of fear. We're not trying to stop the fear. We're not trying to get to a place of no fear. We're embracing the fear because the fear and the discomfort and the unknown is what is going to enable us to dig into the depths of who we are. If you have a new ritual, don't wait till it becomes comfortable. You have to embrace the discomfort. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to wake up earlier. You're going to have to say no, and you're not going to want to. You're going to have to be vulnerable when you want to be comfortable. You're going to have to feel fear when you don't want to feel fear. If you think that's not how it works, we're going into the history. When you go into the future, you don't wait till it feels good. 
You don't wait till you can figure out if you can or if you can't. You say, why can't I? Which means I don't know. Which means I can be nervous. Nerves, anxiety, fear is totally normal. And as long as I can move forward anyways, that's the path. We're going to continue this tomorrow and talk a little bit about what's called the imposter syndrome. But this is the key. The difference between those people that do and don't is not whether they feel nervous. Everybody feels nervous. It's not whether they think they can or they can't. Nobody thinks they can. It's whether you are willing to walk forward anyways. That's the great question of why can't I? I'm not waiting till I can figure out that I can. I am willing to feel fear, to feel the unknown. And even though I feel this way, continue walking forward. That's the difference. Do you embrace it or do you resist it? And we're gonna talk about this tomorrow. It's called the imposter syndrome. You'll be surprised how many people in this world are world-class experts and every day they get up, think that they can't do it. It's not just me and you, it's everybody. All right, have an incredible day. Think about this today, everybody. Try your hardest when you see that level of, thank you. Try your hardest when you, when you, when you, when you face anything that is, I can't, I can't, or I don't know. Try to realize that that's normal. And the key is not to can, the key is to walk anyways. All right, with God's help, we'll talk again tomorrow. Thank you so, so much for being here. And I can't wait with God's help to see you again tomorrow.